The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with tonight's episode of Benched with Bubba, a couple things I want to talk to you about. With the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, you're looking to place a wager on the Patriots or the Rams, looking for some prop bets. Who, how long is the National Anthem going to be? What color Gatorade are the poor? All that awesome stuff, go to mybookie.ag. Awesome place to go place your sports wagers in all sports. They have golf bets right now. I just talked about on the Always Pressing Pod. Tons of cool stuff. They're going to have baseball futures and everything to go look at. Go to mybookie.ag, and when you're a first-time depositor, use promo code BENCHED, B-E-N-C-H-E-D, and you'll get a 50% deposit bonus. So mybookie.ag, promo code BENCHED, gives you a 50% deposit bonus. Deposit 100 bucks, get a free 50 bucks. Deposit 500 bucks, get a free 250 bucks. They do it up to $1000. So mybookie.ag promo code benched for a 50% deposit bonus. Also, if you guys give us a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. I'm working really hard to make this content bigger and better for you guys, and a simple rating and review takes like 30 seconds would help out a ton. So I'd really really appreciate it. With all that being said, this was an awesome episode tonight. Took a break from the fantasy positional previews. Talked some dynasty fantasy baseball with one of the biggest and brightest minds in the prospect games. He's from prospectlive.com. Go check out the site. All great guys there. But you can find him on Twitter at Prospect Jesus. Ralph Lifshitz joins me to talk fantasy redraft leagues, overall dynasty prospects, and much more. We go deep into just regular topics on baseball. So check it out. Welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 40. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 140. We've been doing a little positional previews of late. We're going to take a breather from that. We'll get picked up with that with the next episode. We're going to talk some dynasty fantasy baseball, first-year player draft fantasy baseball, all of that good dynasty prospect talk. In order to do so, we have a good buddy of ours who's been on. Last time he was on, we talked Shohei Otani. 
You can Ooh. find his work, work over on rasball.com. And most importantly, well, maybe not as important, it's rude, but what they've really built up, prospectlive.com. He is the prospect Jesus. Ralph Lifshitz, how you doing, my friend? Yeah, absolutely. And and prospects live, most importantly, at this point. That's uh that's my venture with, with Jason Waddell, Jason Panini, Lance Brozdowski, of course, Matt Thompson. We've brought on uh, Eddie Almagar to the team. We brought on Smata and his Miners Graphs tool onto the team. Uh, and he's helped us really kind of kick up some of the lists that we just put out. We just put out the top 100, fantasy top 100 uh, Monday. So Friday was the, the regular scouting real-life top 100, as I think uh, some of our guys like to call it Monday. It was the fake-life top 100. <laughs> and uh, we've had – all 30 systems done, uh, top 30s. So you can go on there. You can look at every single team. Uh, we go 30 players deep. We're constantly updating these. So they're not going to get stale like, you know, an MLB pipeline. They do great work. But, you know, they get stale. They don't update them constantly. When trades happen, we're constantly updating. And if we, we're presented with more information, we'll re-rank and then, anno- you know, annotate it just to you know note that, hey, we did make a change here from what the initial order was. But we're not uh, – we're not against changing our mind when presented with more information. And I think that's one of the things with prospects in general is uh, it's, 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 you know, it's fluid. It's constantly evolving and changing and, and uh, guys go up, they go down, they struggle, they adjust guys pop up. I mean, who the hell was talking about Jeff McNeil a year ago? And now everybody's clamoring for him to get full-time playing time at the major league level. So it just goes to show you, I mean, that's what's, that's what's great about the minors in baseball. There's always something to write about. So um, that's really what our, what our focus has been on prospect live is to try to get all the systems out there, go really in depth. You know, we have, uh, between our, between our, I guess, five or six experts, we've broken up, uh, systems. I know Jason had, uh, six. I had five, uh, Matt had five or six. Lance had three. Jason Panini had a few once he, you know, AFL stuff, uh, uh, ended cause he was out in the Arizona fall league for us. Um, Eddie did the Dodgers and the Marlins, and then we all collaborated on the Mariners at the end. Uh, so, but a lot of that was because we had already written half of the Mariners top thirty. Yeah. So we just decided, like, with Depoto and the way he is, we're gonna we're gonna wait until the end of the year. It's gonna be the last one that we write up. So we wrote up the Mariners that came out last week. Top one hundred came out on Friday. Fantasy top one hundred on Monday. And uh, we've just been trying to supplement here and there in between. We do a podcast for um, every single top 30 where we, we get on air. We call them a scrum where we kind of get on there with our own uh, uh, prejudices and biases and we battle it out. And I think it makes for compelling radio because, um, you know, it was one of the things that I was saying to people when the top 100 came out and everyone's comparing lists because BP came out, BA, our list. Uh, I know Dynasty Guru dropped theirs, their top 500 yesterday, uh, on Monday. And then um, Keith Law dropped his list as well. So in Pipeline over the weekend. So everyone kind of dropped their list within like a four or five day span. And there's a big variance in terms of the players on there. And I think mm-hmm. what I kept saying to people is there's 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 more than 100 top 100 prospects, technically. I mean, like, you know, there's there's maybe 160 guys. And I think one of the other things you'll see is once you get past like that 55, 60 number, there's a ton of flux. Like, you know, even the guys that are on my list at 140, you know, three good months could push them into the, into the top 100. So um, I think it's, you know, don't, don't take hard stances on stuff. Just read the information, take it in and ask some questions as to why someone likes a particular guy over another one. And I think that's where you gain the most information from. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome what you guys have going over there. The, the the breakdowns for each system. You also have the podcast that you guys just kind of spit ball the prospect talk. Uh, I know Will Dell's always doing the um, the periscopes and 
you know, you guys are always out there doing videos last year, kind of on your own deal. This year's going to be awesome. Um, I've, I've gotten the, the luxury of talking to a lot of your team on different podcasts. I don't think I talked to Eddie or Waddell yet, but that'll come in due time. But all really smart guys, all really awesome mm-hmm. guys that know their stuff. And like you said, it's, it's a, always a fluid system when it comes to prospects. So the fact you guys adjust is going to be great. And I already know I used to go to pipeline and other sources like that to kind of get my, my insights on prospects. And let's just say, since you guys came around, that's where I go get my prospect information. So um, it's, it's, it's awesome. Awesome stuff. You guys got going there. Um, Like one thing we'll talk about, you mentioned you had the top 100 fantasy prospects a couple weeks ago, you guys came out with the top 100 first year player draft prospects. And that's a whole different dynamic. And I've never seen a chart like that before. So that is outstanding. Well, really big fan of that. Yeah, and we tried to we tried to give everybody documents that they could then draft with. Um, because I, I you know I, I think one of the things that we embrace maybe um, maybe outside of probably baseball perspectives, I think they do a good job of it. But we try to embrace the fantasy side of things because that's that's where the traffic's coming from. We're all dynasty guys, and we sort of went in. We sort of expanded our outlook and went into the scouting side of things. Even Jason. I mean, Jason sort of started hitting the backfields because he was like, this might be our leg up in my fantasy leagues. And then you really let go. And I think that's what it is. is you just you enjoy the rush of getting there, seeing these players firsthand, and really getting full context and understanding of who they are as players. You know, um, It's not until you see someone that you can either like them or not like them. Like, I was much higher on Alex Fado, and then I saw Alex Fado pitch. And I was like, I don't like this guy at all. No, no, no disrespect to Alex Fado, but I just don't like his style. He didn't look good. I thought the slider wasn't nearly what it had been built up to be. He was sitting like 88 to 90 that day. Um, really, you know, low fastballs that get mashed on nowadays. And I'm just like, I don't like this guy anymore. I saw Mitch, Kel- uh, Mitch Keller um, later in the year. And I went from being a, a big Mitch Keller guy to really scaling back. that He wasn't even in my top 100. Even for real life, he wasn't in my top 100. Um, and there's other guys like Colby Allard was a guy like that. And then there's other players that you see and you're like, holy crap. Like I, I love this guy. Like I saw, saw Sean Reed Foley this year and he is just a bulldog. He's a gamer. He's got good stuff. Um, you know, he sequences well. And I, you know, it's the same thing with some of these other hitters too. Like you just, you see guys and you kind of fall in love. Like Garrett Hampson was a guy like that. Vidal Brujan, who I saw in the New York Penn league a year ago. And I was kind of hyping up. Um, and then he went to the Florida state league and just absolutely exploded. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's fun, man. I, I, there's nothing I like more than digging in on prospects. You know, it's, it's negative temperatures outside. I'm, I'm dying for it to be 35 degrees and I could throw my long johns on and sit at a game in April again, like I did last year watching Vlad and Bo and Brendan Rogers and Garrett Hampson and Lourdes Guriel, you know, all in the same field. You know, that's pretty special. Yeah, that's the beauty of the prospects world, especially, you know, you guys have had some pretty sweet setups of late with the, those guys traveling through. That's a that's a heck of a Toronto system. You got to watch their yeah. um, producing some stuff out there, so pretty awesome. Uh, let's talk a little dynasty strategy before we get like strictly into player talk. Um, overall dynasty strategy, you mentioned you love playing dynasty. I, I enjoy it. I have a couple leagues. You guys are way more into it than I am. Um, but I do love the prospect angle of it. Overall dynasty strategies, like how do you how do you approach it? Because some guys look to win right away, some guys look to build for the future. How do you look into it? Yeah, well, I actually think that's a that's a good point you just brought up. So I think the 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 rule with dynasty leagues is there's no half measures. And I've tried to to go both ways, you know. That sounds phrasing. That sounds awful, but I've tried to, you <laughs> know, balance, yeah, balance the MLB 
and the prospects, right? And you end up with crap teams. Like I've done it twice. I did it with um, uh, uh, RDI, which is the Roto Wire Dynasty mm-hmm. Invitational, where I kind of tried to go. No, I I had the worst first overall pick in the history of the earth. Like I picked 19th overall out of 20, and I could have taken Jose Ramirez, who went 20th. Instead, I decided to draft Gary Sanchez, and I'm not. I'm not. Oh my! I know, I know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You know, I'm man enough to admit where I was wrong, and that was maybe one of my all-time awful picks. The other pick that was that bad was 2007 in my home league. Um, I had, I wasn't writing then. It was you know different, and it wasn't as into numbers. And I had bought like a Roto Wire or a Roto World package, and someone had told me in that to take Jose Reyes number one overall, and I took Reyes number one overall. And it was such a, it was such a boner move. And, uh, it was, it was one of those things. It's like, you can't climb out of that hole. So I kind of went half measures there. And then I, I did a league with, um, the real fake dynasty podcast with, uh, with Walter and and Paul Martin. Those are my buddies. And, uh, I I, I'm looking better this year. I kind of started to trade off some players, but I went a little half measures on that one. I think you need to build either a redraft team. You draft a redraft team. You don't even think about prospects until like your last 10 picks. Okay. Let's say if that's what the minors is, or you do what I did recently in a, a 30 team salary cap dynasty. And I think for that particular uh, format, cause I play in all different dynasty styles, shapes, sizes, you know, whatever. I think with, with, with uh, salary cap draft all prospects, I went nothing but prospects for 50 rounds. I just finished up this morning. And, you know, obviously it gets really deep later on. And that's when I start to draft like some of these relief prospects that I think will be up in a year or two, my last five or six rounds. And I build my bullpen that way. But what you do is you get all these guys because the way salary cap dynasties typically work is players are cost controlled for like the first four or five, six years of their career once they're past their limits. So you have cost control, just like an MLB team. And that's assets. The other thing is prospects are currency and trade especially good prospects and depth of prospects when guys decide hey my team stinks i have half an mlb team i went half measures got half an mlb team i got prospects i want to rebuild i want i love this guy i want to you know i'm going to approach this guy about trading for him you have a ton of leverage when you have prospects and and that's what that guy needs you can get that star player that may have three or four years of shelf life left for a, a huge discount because you happen to have a prospect and, and you essentially you eliminate the risk, maybe long-term is some risk. And I've gotten burned with a few of those, but I know in some of these salary cap leagues, like I've, I grabbed Clayton Kershaw. I think the best prospect that gave up maybe three years ago was like Jorge Bonifacio and it ended up oh, winning wow. me championships. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just got to look for the opportunity. And I think that, uh, you know, in your straight ahead dynasty league, you know, 12 to 15 team, and you don't have uh, any salary cap implications or people implications. It's just kind of a straight dynasty. For me, I think you have to go go re- go redraft, man. Draft the best freaking team. Try to win. And all those pieces you could probably trade off a little bit later, especially in a format like that when there's no salary component. I think you get you get a lot more value with with vets. So look at the scoring. Think about it. Think about what you know the plan is for two years and then four. For me, like, you know, some of these teams I have, maybe they're three years out, two years out, okay. But, you know, when you, some of these shallower leagues, man, you should be able to turn over your roster. Like, I have a 12-team dynasty league that's, like, my home league. And, you know, I, I think I probably turn over that roster, like, 60% every season, you know, because there's no reason not to. Yeah, maximize the, the assets you have, like you said. So that makes a ton of sense. Um 
when you when you're talking about not going full prospect, like kind of going for it now strategy, do you worry about age at all in that, or do you focus on you know some say that the guys 27 to 29 peak years they try to you know draft really good players. I'm not saying dry punt guys, but sure. try to draft the younger side of that at all. Uh, yeah, I think the first, like your, your core, your core that you're building early on, you're probably going to go for guys that are sub 28, right? Yeah. You're, you're going to, you're going to target those guys that are between the ages of whatever, 21, 20, 19, if you're, if you're Juan Soto and, uh, you know, probably 28, 27, right? Cause you can get a good core that way that you probably can have together for a few years. And then what starts to happen frequently in these drafts is once you get past like round six, round seven, round eight, these guys are great values. Guys that are first round, second round, third round players, pitchers that fine if I get two years out of this guy, but who knows? I mean, there were people probably avoiding Max Scherzer in drafts two years ago that the guy that ended up drafting them is probably laughing all the way to the bank. You know, I mean, you, you can't, you can't, you can't write off, um, you know, uh, guaranteed production or, you know, an actual track record too. So I think that, uh, when you, when you do go, you know, full redraft, I'll call it, you know, when you're, you're chasing the championship year one, year two, um, it's good to be young enough that you can, you can transition over time because what you can do is you can draft prospects on the back end, maybe some guys that are a little unheralded and then let them marinate for a few years watch them gain value. Maybe they fill slots. Maybe they're pieces that you can then trade to fill in and, and move some of those other veterans. And that's just, you know, it's always moving parts. You have, it's like a chessboard. You have to constantly be thinking on two moves ahead and what this move does allows me to do this. And then I can do this, right? I, when I make a trade in dynasty, it's rarely a single move, which is why I probably make less trades in dynasty than other people, but I'll make trades in like a flurry. Like I'll make four trades in three days. Because it's it's because it's like essentially like I'm talking to this guy because I'm like all right this guy bought on this I know I can now move this and get this back and you know it's it's that's the fun of it is trying to trying to come up with a long term strategy but I think you know the other advice I'll give is uh, don't worry about losing too badly like don't worry about losing a trade if you think it's going to help you short term and it's the guy that you want go and get him you know because um, there's a lot of times where it looks like it's a safe deal and the opposite turns out to be the case. And that's so true. And the flurry things, it makes me laugh because I took over uh, in Donkey Teeth and uh, Dicka Sausage Fantasy Podcast. They have a dynasty league, uh, you know, those boys. And um, they had an opening this year, so I decided to take it. They showed me the roster. I'm like, yeah, it's going to take some work, but it'll be fun. I think I made six or seven trades in about a 72-hour period. And, like, some of those guys got flipped multiple times. I feel like Jerry DePoto. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, minus, minus the heart problem in the hospital. But um, it, it is kind of how you have to do it. You have to, it's almost like you said, you're playing chess where you're, you're not just making one move to make a move. You're kind of moving all kinds of pieces around. You're planning ahead, like three steps ahead. And uh, it is a different animal. That's why I like dynasties. You can, you can change things year to year. It's different. You said if you're not moving like 60% of your roster, it's so true. Because if you're just sitting there with a stale roster, you're probably not going to be contending or you have the best luck on the face of the planet. That's just just, just face the facts there. <laughs> So um, with that being said, you've done your, your regular draft. You've made some moves. You've had a season or two in. Now we're talking first-year player drafts. How do you approach a first-year player draft um, from, say, a drafting philosophy or um, – I don't know. There's many ways to do it because every line of the week is going to be different. But how do you, sure. pr- like, approach a first-year player draft? Sure. So, I mean, you know, obviously I do my ranks. I go pretty deep. Um, 
I think over the last couple of years with, you know, a greater focus uh, for my game watching on amateur. So I watch more NCAA. I'm up on what's going on in the perfect game events and the area code games. I'm keeping up with uh prep baseball report and all those podcasts. And I'm, I'm just constantly being inundated with names and information and players to look into. I'm creating lists and doing that and making notes and, you know, trying to dig a little bit deeper. So that way I can all organize my thoughts when I finally sit down and write. I go to a ton of Cape Cod League games. So now it's like I have much better understanding of players. So I sit down, I make my list. And I start to, you know, I, I rank them out straight in terms of like who's the best talent. And then, you know, I, I, I you know, I kind of break it down by position like I would with, you know, my top 100. And I'll do, you know, top 10s for each position or whatever it might be. So that way, if I have to draft from this position and do that or whatever, I know. And then the next thing I typically do, and it's the last part of the process, is most leagues that I'm in with first-year player drafts, unowned minor league players are available as well. And I think that this is this is the the biggest difference maker. If you want to win, this is what's going to help you win. And we're all about winning, right? So you go through that, you go through that freaking player pool, like on fan tracks. I will go through 160 pages, however long the player pool is. And I will add every guy I think is interesting to my watch list. And then I'll go back. And then it's like during the draft, I got 15 pages of watch list guys. You know, I'm like, all right, these are the guys I want to add. And then I can make a list of, all right, these are my top 15, you know, and it's almost like Mel Kuyper during like the, the NFL draft where like, I got my, you know, my big board, like, you know, best, best available, best available, best available. And uh, sometimes it's a first year player draft guy. Sometimes it's the guys that are available, but you know, you'd be shocked at some of the guys that you can, you can pluck uh, in some, in some of these leagues. I mean, I'm thinking back to uh, a couple of like my 30 teams this year. I know uh, Davey Garcia from the Yankees, who I think is great pitcher. I was able to, to pluck him. Um, you know, there's some other guys like, uh, uh, John or Jan Torres from the Cardinals, a guy that they had, uh, acquired. I actually think in, was it the Lance Lynn deal maybe, but, uh, yeah, you know, he was, uh, kind of a throw in and he's a, a complex guy that's totally broke out. Um, and just, you know, some of the, some of those other sort of guys, some of these J2 signings that don't pop up until later in the AZL, and, you know, maybe your league, I can know a lot of my 30 team dynasties. I can't pick up prospects after a certain date. So you have all these guys that are available. And um, sometimes those are the better players to grab. Sometimes it's even a guy like, uh, you know, a Ryan McMahon who I like from the Orioles or a Jeff McNeil from the Mets. There's always guys available. No, that's a great point. As everyone thinks, first year player draft, we're going to go and take the guys drafted this year, obviously, in the uh, MLB draft. And those are the guys we're going to target. When, yeah, there's probably a lot of double A, even single A, but maybe even triple A players that maybe got promoted towards the end of the year to triple A that might be on a team in a year or two compared to some kid in rookie ball that you never know what's going to happen. So, exactly. That's a very good point because that's one thing I've always emphasized with prospects is, yeah, these guys are awesome. Don't get me wrong, but from rookie ball to the pros, not all guys go like you said, Juan Soto and all of a sudden single A to the bros. They're going to take their sweet time getting there sometimes, and that might take four to five years. And they still might be good by then, but that's four or five years of your fantasy baseball team that that guy sat there while you could have done X, Y, or Z. So there, there's different ways to look at it, and that's kind of the beauty of the dynasty game. you got to really evaluate where you're looking at things. Yeah, and no, I agree. I would have to uh, agree. Yeah, well, no, well, that's good. I'm glad we're agreeing. That's a great start. Um, when we talk first-year player draft, I kind of want to focus on that list first, and then we'll kind of go over the Vlads of the world and everything that everyone talks about. But um, 
you're talking first year player drafts, you mentioned obviously looking at potential guys in your waiver wire. You have UC Kikuchi towards the top. I'm going to ask you find out what, and I'm, I've, I've seen nothing but great things. So what is your report on him? Why do you guys have him number one on your list? Well, I think he's number one for me because he returns the most immediate value. I don't think he has the most upside in the list, probably not even close. Um, there's a bunch of guys for that. I mean, it might even be somebody like, you know, Jordan Adams, obviously a Nolan, Nolan Gorman, Xavier Edwards. There's a lot of guys. But I think in a year where sort of one through 11 is in flux, there's a lot of close guys. It's a lot of opinions. You know, it depends. There's people like, you know, BP, Brett Sayre is uh, all over Nick Madrigal. I have Nick Madrigal at 11. He's not even in my top 10. Where I think a guy like Kikuchi comes in, he pitches right away. There's an excellent success rate for Japanese pitchers in their first half of their first season. I think that that's a guy that could potentially gain value. It's also probably when Seattle will use him um, the most. And I think as they get out of contention, you know, later and later into the season, he'll probably get, you know, straight... I think he's always going to be probably on a six a six day you know rest period. He may only pitch once a week, but it's still a big piece. If you're in a points league uh, uh, setup, a head to head category setup, that right now pitcher and pitching depth is super valuable. So if you can get a major league player in your minor league draft, I think it's a big advantage. It's also a player that, in my opinion, you can draft and then trade to contenders that need need an arm. And you could probably get back a, a, a prospect or a couple of them, maybe even a, a pick and a prospect in some of these leagues. So um, I think for Matt and I, that was the case. Now, I, I'm not always drafting Yusei Kikuchi number one because not every team has the same needs. That's the other thing, right? Yes. Um, we present the information to you. I thought ranking Kikuchi because he's a he's a pro. I thought ranking him number one. And I think there's a lot less uncertainty with him than there is with someone like Merrill Kelly, who uh, you know was a, a kid that was in the, the race system, went over to Korea for a few years, came back as remade his stuff, really had a big jump up in his velocity, spin, all that sort of stuff. He's got a guaranteed major league contract with the Diamondbacks. Maybe he's the Miles Mikolosa this year. I don't know. But I still think there's a lot of risk with that. It's also Korea. You know, is it going to translate, right? So with me, like, Kikuchi is just the one guy in the draft where I think it's plug and play, and that's really valuable. Even if you're a rebuilding team, it's not so bad to be able to gra- grab a pitcher like that. If you, Usually most of these drafts, in my, my, my experience, go five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten rounds deep even, depending upon how deep your league is. You have so much upside to target after that first pick. Take mm-hmm. the sure thing, whether it's a, tr- a trade chip, or a piece in your rotation, I think it's valuable. And I know for like my points leagues, I'm pretty sure the kid with the number one pick is going to take Yusei Kikuchi over Wander Franco, who's available. I'm trying to trade for Wander Franco right now, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. But uh, yeah, I think that, you know, it, it just goes to show every league has different value. Is Kikuchi always the slam dunk number one? Absolutely not. Um, but I think that there's a case that can be made and uh, ranking him like fourth, I think, is kind of goofy, in my opinion. And, and that's kind of what I thought when I was looking at it, is you have a number one, not just because of his skill set, but he's going to be their opening day. Um, yeah. Jonathan India is number two. Who's, everything looks great with the kid. Like I saw him during the draft, the, the, the profiles then, your guys' profiles now. Everything looks outstanding. Um, and you have a number two, which rightfully so. When you're looking at pitchers as prospects, and kind of my philosophy is I'd rather take bats all day long and work on pitchers. I've heard that from many other people. 
How do you look at pitchers being as prospects compared to offensive players when you're kind of maybe trading or drafting those type of talents? Yeah, I think that number one, I am heavy, heavy hitter over pitcher. Um, take a look at my top 100. I didn't have a yeah. single pitcher in my top 10 for fantasy. I didn't have a single pitcher in my top 10. In reality, I had Forrest Whitley four because that guy has value a real life team, right? Um, a ton. He could be an ace. I mean, he's one of the best pitching prospects uh, we've seen in the last you know 10 years. Um, but there's a ton of risk. You saw last year at Forrest Whitley, he looked like a sure thing. Brett Honeywell looked like a sure thing. Michael Kolpeck looked like a sure thing, maybe a little bit less, but injuries, man. Two of them had injuries. One of them had a drug suspension for, for stimulant or whatever it was. And then he was injured later on in the season. Alex Reyes looked amazing. He looked like the best pitcher in baseball when he was pitching in the minor leagues. I mean, he was absolutely working people. Like there was one game, I think with Springfield where he might've struck out like 13 and five innings. Like it was stupid. It was like Clemens, you know, 20 strikeout game. And he gets up to the majors. He (laughs) he throws what four innings. It gets hurt and he's done for the season. So you have to, there's so much risk there. So when I'm looking at a, a list like this, particularly for like a first year player draft, um, I'm looking at stuff. I want a guy that's going to miss bats. I don't even care if he ends up in the pen because I think that he can be a useful piece and have that high K per nine. I'd rather gamble on a guy like that. Let other people take the safe guys and then I'll wait 10 rounds and I'll go after some of these underrated arms. A guy like Corbin Martin, uh, who I think is every bit as good as someone like Mitch Keller, who will probably go five or six rounds earlier. So um, I think, you know, it's always hitter over pitcher. I avoid catchers at almost all cost, And that's not a knock on, on Joey Bart, for example. I think he's a great real life prospect for fantasy. He's not a guy that I'm going to pay the price tag to own. Um, just because I just, I, I, I don't think there's that much value in catchers and they can, they can go awry. As I said, you know, I, I invested in a catcher once and it, it, it bit me in the ass. So <laughs> I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> I was about to ask you about that. Um, yeah. Gary Sanchez strikes again. Um, when you are talking about some pitchers, I'm just going to ask you about a couple guys, and then we can go to the the, the offensive talent here. Like you have Casey Mize, or you guys have Casey Mize, number eight, and then there's um, you know the likes of Matthew Libator, uh, Cole Wynn, and, and whatnot. That's uh, you have three pitchers in the top twenty. It tells you a lot already. Um, what kind of guys are you? Are those your main guys? Are there other guys you're looking at when you're coming to fantasy redrafts for dynasty? Yeah, I think those are the main guys I'm looking at. The other guy I'm looking at is Daniel Lynch uh, from Kansas City, who I might have had higher than one of those guys in my own particular ranks. Um, Lynch is a guy that's a big mover. I know he made Keith Laws. He was high. He was close to 50 on Keith Laws' top 100. And Keith will, yeah, you, you know, guys have him 27 on the redraft. On the yeah, track. exactly. And, and Keith isn't scared to go off the, the beaten path. I think Lynch is going to be awesome. I need to see a little bit more of Lynch before I'm, I'm willing to throw him that high in a top 100. I think he's on the edge. He's a kid that, you know, if you're familiar with UVA and, and their system, um, almost like Stanford sort of uh, negates some of the abilities, the flash of some of their hitters, like we saw with Nico Horner in the Stanford swing. It's similar with Virginia, how they have you pitch, the amount of innings they have you pitch, the style that they use. And so I think the thing with Lynch, as we saw, was, and he's a guy that actually had some personal issues with the coaching staff at Virginia, you know, defiantly fought with the Virginia a coaching staff on the mound about some of the game plans and, and 
in sequencing, which is insane to think, That's right? Wild in a college atmosphere, it's very wild. <laughs> comes comes to Kansas City and he's blowing people away. And I talked with a Kansas City scout uh, in late July at a, at a game in Binghamton. He's a guy that scouts the Eastern League, and he had spent a lot of time watching Lynch at EVA. He was part of the the, the team that drafted him. And uh, one of the things that he had said was like, you know, I, I agreed with what he was saying, like. I would talk with him after the game and it was like, yeah, everything you're saying is a hundred percent right. You should be doing what you think and not what your coach is doing. That guy's so it's it's kind of funny how um, you know, sometimes with guys like that too, they can they can just pop. And for me, it's I need a little bit more of a track record and just to know it's not somebody breaking down dudes and, and rookie ball, right? I mean yeah. we see that all the time. People all get time. fooled by rookie ball numbers. Don't get fooled by college guys and rookie ball. But I think Lynch is another guy that can potentially break through. And um, I think, you know, with the guys that are ranked ahead of him, you know, you're talking about Casey Mize, who might be one of the best college starters to come into the, the, the you know, in the draft in, in quite a while. He was great at Auburn, you know, a guy with elite feel. He's got multiple versions of all of his pitches. That's the thing. He can shape his pitches. That to me, that that's full pants tent, dude. Like when I, when I hear somebody has the that's ability talent. That's field. That's what. Com- that's the definition of command. That's the definition of command. You can reshape your pitches and make them do what you want them to do because you know how to manipulate it that much. That's precision. You know, that's that's an artist. And I think with Mize, he also has a real fu pitch. You know, he's got the cutter, the slider that works. He's got that splitter, man, and that's a nasty out pitch. You need that to be a starter and to be a great starter in the majors. I think he has all the pieces. I hope it comes together. Um, Cole Wynn is one of the most polished, uh, high school, uh, prep arms we've seen in a while. JP, Jason Panini, one of my scouts, he's a guy that just came off a contract with the Brewers. So this was somebody that was scouting a year ago, you know, for a professional team that works for prospects live that was out in Arizona, taking in Rangers instructs. And he's like, dude, Cole, and this is, by the way, Cole Wynn didn't pitch professionally. So we, we pretty much got some of the only looks on Cole Wynn. There's video on the site. And JP's like, this kid's pitch mix is so deep. <clears throat> I mean, there's just, you know, the feel for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, it's just uncanny. And uh, as for Levitore, he's another guy I just think his stuff is is nuts. Yeah, no, that Casey Mice stuff's really interesting. I like how you mentioned in a pitching-dominated points league, you'd probably take him number one, which tells you a lot about what you think about him compared to when we already talked about take bats over pitching. So that speaks volumes right there and uh I, I didn't miss your commentary he must have the greg maddox syndrome about uh pitching tents on the mound so that's always a good thing um <laughs> uh, yeah that, that's always good when you're looking at um you said rookie ball you know guys are always blowing guys away at rookie ball and like i saw a giants prospect melvin adon who was in the fall league i saw him in single a and i'm watching him and this guy's just throwing gas but his commands all over the place not really a major secondary pitch i'm sitting there going okay like right now if i had to say anything he'd be like a a late inning reliever, but maybe they'll develop something with him, which is possible. I'm not an expert like you guys are, but um, what level do you start to really believe in a pitcher's stuff? Um, you know, I, it depends because there's some guys I see in the Cal League, and I'm like, this guy is like, if you're a Lancaster and you're pitching well, that's I true because everyone can hit a fly ball out there. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of tend to believe. Um, but really, it's double A. Double A is where the rubber meets the road for hitters and for pitchers, right? Yeah, uh, lot, yeah. And I think it's like that jump to double A because double A for me is the best level. Triple A, yeah, it's good. You have a lot of guys that are just kind of in like career, 
Yeah, their career, it's like a waiting room, AAA. It's why you see so many guys get called up, you know, after three weeks in AAA. You know, they don't, there's very few good prospects who spend uh, a long time in AAA unless they have some stuff they got to work on or they have a team like the White Sox that's trying to control these guys for an extra year. And you can't blame a team for that, even if uh, we don't like it as fans. You know, you screwed up system we have. Exactly. That's the that's the CBA. That's what I keep saying with all this stuff that you read on Twitter. Everyone complaining about contracts and everything else. It's like this is the bed they made. And the yep. baseball players union, by the way, has notoriously been the strongest baseball players union. So and right, I know and right now are getting bent over. Oh, I know. And everyone's going to be like, "Oh, you're you're anti union." I'm not anti union. I just I'm pro union. I just think that like get a better deal. Stop stop screwing over minor league players. Stop screwing over younger players in the game. That's what the issue became. And you created your own bed, you know, yeah. um, by creating free agency the way it was. So, you know, redo it. And maybe maybe they don't have leverage. We'll see. But um, notoriously, the players union has been so strong and baseball players get so much guaranteed money. I think they, they got to maybe take a little bit less in the back end to get a little bit more in the front end and do everybody a little bit better. I think that's what the real economic issue is in the game. But um, everybody just wants to hem and haw on Twitter and make it political. Oh, yeah, that's Twitter at its finest. Um, I, I do have a question. Not, we'll get back to this list in a second, but you mentioned it with minor league players, and you see it a lot. I see it a lot. Um, do you think this new bargaining agreement, they're actually going to find a way to take care of these minor league players? Because it's pathetic. No. No. I have I have no faith in corporations or people or owners of businesses or other individuals uh, within a business to take care of the folks that get screwed the most. I just – I don't. And that's not – no, and that's, so not a, that's not a political statement. It's just, it's yeah. just, you know, uh, I, I'm, you know, I have a real job. I sell insurance. I'm not, I'm not a full-time prospect guy all the time. I have to pay the bills. I got three kids in a house. So, um, you know, it's just, you Congrats can't, can't the <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> nice. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't expect, you can't expect owners to, to just, you know, turn around and be like, Oh yeah, I don't care. Yeah. We'll spend, $40 million to pay minor league players, you know, a living wage. I think they should, but how can I expect those guys to do that when behind the scenes, they're lobbying right now for these guys not to get paid during spring training. They're literally lobbying for them not to get paid during spring training. Okay. So how, and, and they put a bill up, it got voted on, it got passed, you know, through, through Washington how can I expect those guys to be like, yeah, you know what? The things that we've done over the last five years are totally shady and wrong, and we should fix this problem. It, it, I mean, I, I don't know how you fix it. I mean, because the problem is it's like it, if you're chasing that dream, and this is always the thing with any side, any side of your life, you know, no matter what it is, they have you over a barrel, man, because it's your dream. And it's like if you want this, you're going to have to hustle for it, and you're going to have to struggle, but, you know – as dark as this night might be, the day is going to be so brighter when you're making $20 million a year and you're in the big leagues and the girls and the bright lights and the money and the cars and, you know, whatever else comes with fame and fortune and, and, and all that. But uh, I think that's the problem is there's no, there's no leverage for these players unless everybody decided to walk or the, the players union decided to make it a cause that these guys need to get a living wage. And it's absurd that they don't, um, you know, I th- I find it funny when people still 
uh, almost view it as like, well, it's almost like an internship. No, it's not. It's a, oh, blow me. Like, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't spend the amount of time, like even at your job. Okay. Where you sit at your computer and, and let's say you're a 25 year old kid who makes $45,000 coming out of college and, or you're 23 and you sit at a computer, you look at memes for four hours a day. <laughs> You work for maybe three hours a day. You have two other hours where you go to lunch and go to the bathroom and look at your phone. So give me a break. Some of these minor league guys are waking up. They're running. They're they're watching everything that they eat. They're spending uh, insane amounts of hours at these clinics with wires and things attached to them so they can – they can get reads on you know their biomechanical motions and 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 spin rates and and all this other stuff with just the glimmer of hope this this small percentage that they get an opportunity to really make it in the big leagues and I think those guys should be getting at least fifty thousand dollars a year. Why at can't least, you know. when the, when these businesses make this much money and these guys are investments? Why can't we pay them enough that they can have a nice apartment and feed themselves good food? Yep. No, it, it's an absolute travesty. It's like these are supposed to be the future of your team, the talent of your team, yet you can't take care of them. It's, it's embarrassing. Um, yes or no question. Do you think the way the minor league system is is why Kyler Murray is going to go to the NFL? Uh, ooh, I think partially. Okay. I think partially, but I think when everyone's ignoring him, the story with Kyler Murray, and I love Kyler Murray. He's my, he's my obby on Twitter. Um, I work with a bunch of Alabama fans, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, antagonist and a contrarian. So I came in and I was like, first day, first day of work. I started in August. I was like, uh, Kyler Murray's going to win the Heisman. You're crazy. Kyler Murray isn't even good enough to start. All right. You're going to be better than Baker Mayfield. <laughs> no, I don't know if he is. He, statistically he was, but Kyler Murray's father was a, was a, was a call, was a quarter, is a quarterback coach. He's, he's a football coach. And True. Kyler Murray could have been a first-round talent in the 2015 draft. He was one of the best athletes in that draft. He could have signed, if not first-round, second-round for, like, a big bonus. Somebody would have bonus-bumped him, all right? Would have went Daz Cameron and signed him for $2 million in the second round, you know? Um, he wanted to go to A&M. He was actually, I think he was in the class after Manziel left for A&M. And so uh, he kicked around there for a while, Um he chased the baseball thing. I think when football became maybe less of an option and he went to Cape Cod league, he was there for a little bit. He left, had to go back for Oklahoma, uh, uh, practices. He was a backup, you know, goes to the motions this year, gets drafted, had a very good season with uh Steely Walker as his teammate on that Oklahoma baseball team goes in the first round. Oak, you know, Oakland signs him. Everyone's jacked up. I'm jacked up. I'm figuring even as I'm watching Kyler Murray, it wasn't until the West Virginia game, you know, at the end of the season, they go to West Virginia, they win. And I mm-hmm. said to myself, he's going to the NFL. He's yeah. going to the NFL. And that night, Todd McShay had him in the first round. He's going to the NFL. As soon as there was first round buzz, there was, was no chance. And quarterbacks yeah. always climb. You could tell me a guy is 30th, a, a early second round talent uh, three months before the draft, four months before the draft. That as soon as the combine happens, that totally changes. And you know, an athlete like this is going to blow people away. His makeup, his commitment. Um, yeah, I think he. I think he. I think he wanted football. I think football is his passion. That's what he wanted to do. And uh, I think baseball was a fallback plan. I think he knew that uh, you know, if NFL teams, if he was going to be a third round pick, man, go go and take the four million or five million dollars. 
play in the minors for two years, three years, hone your game, and then get up, right? I mean, he's also a big bonus guy, so it's a little bit less of an issue because once you get into the third, fourth round, that $5 million is essentially equal to your guarantee. It's more than yeah. your guarantee money, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that was the break-even point. Once he was a first-round guy, it was done. Yeah, no, as he kept winning and getting more Heisman buzz, I kept telling guys he's not coming. He's not coming. It's not happening. A lot of A's fans out here by me are like, it's not happening, guys. Just uh, realize it real quick. You wasted a draft pick like I told you you did on draft day. But um, it happens. It's just the way it works, and I can't blame the kid at all. Um, It would have been fun to see. But let's get back to the first-year player draft talk. We're not going to go position by position. We're just going to kind of talk about a few guys in your top ten or anybody else that stands out. But I want to kind of get your thoughts. you got Jonathan India. you got Nolan Gorman, um, a couple other big third basemen that came out in the draft this year. How do you, uh, Alex Baum, how do you uh, evaluate that third base position with those three guys? Because all really, really talented and everything you read, a lot of similarities with slight differences. Yeah, I think the thing with Baum, it's funny, is uh, everybody is almost like completely um, written him off because he was hurt and didn't have a uh, a, a, a great, um, yeah, I'm searching for words here didn't have a great season because he was hurt. I mean, he didn't really play very much. So um, I think that threw off a lot of people's perception on who Alex Baum was. I mean, this is one of the best power hitters uh, in this draft class. Now, when I'm looking at a guy like India versus Gorman versus Baum, India to me offers so many skills. He's almost like Nick Senzel that I think that, um, or an, an Anthony Rizzo, uh, excuse me, Anthony uh, Rendon, where I think that he's going to be such a high war player He's going to be in the lineup every day. Great approach. He walks a ton. Really tap into his power swing. And for the guy saying, hey, India only had one great season at, at Florida. He was also a three-year starter at Florida. Okay? Like, that's yeah. not something you, you, you shake a stick at, right? His third year, his junior year where he went off, he was better against the SEC than he was against non-conference games. That's the toughest power uh, uh, division in the country. And he hit for more power against them, was walking a ton um he runs well he's instinctual he's a baseball player if there's one guy in this draft class that could be alex bregman it's jonathan india and by the way people were were shading bregman in that draft saying that dansby swanson was better than him and i was one of the idiots that said it so um i was new to the prospect game at that time so i've i've learned the things i like the hit tool the skills overall skills i think gorman has the highest power potential um, the ceiling for him I put on last night when we were having a, a discussion about these guys. I think, you know, if everything goes well, the strikeouts roll down a little bit because there will be some swing and miss early. He figures out to get the breaking balls. I think he can be Chris Bryant. And I'll also say this. There were some knocks on his glove. Uh, I got a few reports from a few different guys that are out in Jupiter uh, because uh, the Cardinals, as well as the Giants and the Cubs, decided to do their instructs in January and not in uh, September, October. And uh, they said that Gorman's made a significant improvement defensively. So um, I think he sticks to the position. And then Baum is just a power bat. He may end up at first base, but I think he's a 30-homer guy. I like it. A uh, name that I, I paid attention to the draft. I talked to guys like James Anderson and a couple others around draft time. I was trying to stay in tune. A name I did not hear at all was Trevor Larnick. He's out for the Minnesota Twins now. Talk to me about Trevor Larnick. I had no clue who this guy was. See, and I'm shocked. Can I tell you, I'm shocked you don't know who Trevor Larnick is. Because you, do you know who uh, Adley Rushman is? No. Okay, the catcher from uh, Oregon State. Do you know who Nick Madrigal okay. is? Do you know yeah, who Nick just, Madrigal is? Oh, never mind. Larnick was on Oregon State. Okay, I saw him play Stanford. He was, I'm an idiot. Yeah, the name didn't ring a bell. That's the like, thing, though. He does, yeah. But 
He didn't make any top 100s besides ours. We have like top. I remember when he got drafted. I remember on the MLB Network when he got drafted. It was like, oh, look at it's Madrigal's teammate. That's why they kept showing pictures of him together. Power, power, contact, sixty power, sixty contact. Those are the guys that we chase. Tons of approach, and this is a guy that learned how to hit. He honed the hit tool and then unlocked the power. Those are the best hitters. Those are the guys you want to chase. Don't have to go with a guy that's always swinging for the fences. I mean, I don't I don't need Miguel Sano. I want a guy that has some floor. Larnick has that. I, I I am shocked that more people aren't higher on Larnick. I think it's like us, and we had him on our real-life top 100. I think we're the only ones with a real-life top 100 uh, ranking of Larnick. And uh, then James Anderson's the only one that's ranking him for fantasy and probably the Welsh, So, uh, and then our guys. So, yeah, I don't know. I I, I do not understand how he is not ranked higher people because Larnick is a very good hitter and yeah it, it's it's a little shocking to me you know yeah, I totally brain farted on that that was a good one uh, um, you know Jared Kalinick you he's a, a top you know sixth overall pick with the Mets got traded to the Mariners um you've seen the pictures on Twitter he's beef caking it up he's just all over the place how do you compare Kalinick with a guy like Larnick uh, well, I think, you know, the thing is like, you know, what's your window? Do you want a guy that's going to be ready in three, maybe four years? That's that's Kelnick. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're looking at a guy that's going to be ready in maybe one or two years, you're looking at a guy like Larnick or an India or a Nico Horner, you know? Um, so I think it's compare and contrast the two, uh, just depends on what your preference is. And, and once again, I think this is a year where there's no clear cut number one for, for anyone. You know, there's, okay. there's no one guy that's like, all right, yeah, this is the easy number one pick. This isn't that guy. A couple more I'm going to ask you about here. Nick Madrigal, we've already mentioned him. We, you already mentioned how you're not as high on him as a lot of others are. Uh, the kid looks like a great hitter. Some have compared him to like Altuve types. Uh, he looks like a Keston Herrera type. It goes all over the board. What is it you see in Madrigal where you're not as high on him as everybody else? All those other guys have more power. I mean, go look at his spray chart on, on, on Miners graphs on Prospects Live. Go look at the amount of ground balls he hits, the amount of singles that just – I mean, he didn't strike out at all for like an insane stretch. It was like 150 at-bats to start his pro career or something. I don't remember what the exact number is. Um, but he wasn't hitting any homers. He didn't hit any homers. Like, you need to hit for some power. There has to be some impact there. Otherwise, like you just you can't be a first three round guy. That's you know, fair enough. Maybe you know if you get some additional counting stats, you hit at the top of the order. The White Sox could have a really good order. I think he's going to be a very good real life player. I am suspect on him uh, being a big fantasy impact guy. I think he's a guy that will start. I think he'll have some twelve team relevancy at some points, but I am just not sure that he's going to be. Uh, you know, 100% owned in, in redraft leagues, 12-team redraft leagues forever. I like that. This is why I got you on here because there's a lot of guys really high on him. And I'll talk about a couple um, Latino players here, a Cuban player for starters, Victor Victor Mesa. Everyone talked about him. Miami got him. They pretty much were the only ones that were going to say, we're going to spend all the money to bring a Cuban player to Miami. Um, Bienvenidos, Victor. What's your thoughts on Victor Victor Mesa? You guys got him number nine right now. Um, and he seems like he's going to be pretty close to the bigs. Pretty close to the bigs. Uh, good hit tool, um, speed, contact guy. I'd say it's like a Starling Marte sort of a skill set, right? Where It's not a bad one more, to have. Yeah, it's more contact than speed. Not a huge on-base percentage guy, but he'll take his walks here and there. And 
he's got the wheels to steal 30 bases and maybe he chips in 15 to, you know, 18 homers. I think he can be that kind of a guy, which can be very valuable, but um, there's a huge risk factor with these Cuban guys. They're just yeah, definitely risk factor. The fact he's oh. so close to the bigs, if you are in a first year draft, say you got a top two or three pick, do you think about taking him there for his more immediate impact? Or do you still like the, the Indias of the world and whatnot? Yeah, I think I'm still going Indias and, yeah. and those sort of guys. And, and I'll wait a little bit on Victor Victor. But there's some folks, I think James Anderson had him one, if I'm not mistaken. So there are some people who think Victor Victor is the best player in this class. And, and they, you know, they might have a case. Well, and that goes back to your everyone's got a different viewpoint, a different eye they watch with. And that's kind of what makes prospects fun. Um, exactly. Another guy I want to ask you about, one of my San Francisco Giants, Marco Luciano. The Giants have actually made waves in the international world for once. It's kind of nice. Um, and he's a big-time, or at least looks like a big-time prospect. You guys have him 10th in a redraft league. He's still very young. But what's your thoughts on uh, Luciano? Uh, well, we just got some video of him, actually, because uh, JP was out at uh, a Giants Instructs. We had an article that went up last week on the site with some video seeing some of these guys, as well as like uh, Jario Palmares, who's another big signing that they had, I think around a million dollars. And there's another kid that his name is escaping me. Um, But, you know, Alexander Canario the year before, they've had some good J2 guys over the last two years. Um, They've had some some good players, and I think it's kind of littering their their top five. Marco Luciano, um, I've been talking to Ben Badler about Luciano now for, Maybe a little bit under a year. Um, you know, we had him on the baseball show a couple of times right before the J2 signing period. And far and away, Luciano is considered the best hitter in this class. We had on Ben Badley the year before. And the player that he said was the best hitter in that class was Wander Franco. Uh, okay, that's pretty good. So, <laughs> I, you know, Ben is down at these. He goes down to the Dominican Republic. He sees these guys at the complex workouts and everything else. So Ben Ben knows these guys. He talks to these kids. So he has such a good understanding. It's really tough to get better information than him. Maybe Jesse Sanchez with MLB, but I don't know him personally, so I can't have conversations with him about it. But, um, yet, yet. Ben, yeah, exactly. But Ben, Ben has, has kind of said to me that, you know, it's like this, this is the best hitter in the class. This guy is, um, you know, n- not a speed and defense guy. That's not why he's getting rated this way. It's just pure mash and, uh, like middle of the order bat type of stuff. So, that's a guy I'm willing to, to bet on. JP confirmed the same. Um, he's impressive, man. He might be a guy that blows up over the next year. Okay. I like the sounds of that. Um, I'm not going to pick any more names out for there. Uh, before we get to the overall fantasy top 100 real quick, what do you – are there any other names that kind of stand out to you that maybe not on everyone's radar to look for in your first-year player drafts on this list? Obviously not what might be available in their league. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, if you go deep enough, there's a guy that I'm really interested in by the name of uh, Taryn Vavra, who was a uh, Minnesota uh, player, University of Minnesota. His father, I believe, worked for the Twins for about 30 years. Um, So baseball family. And he's a guy that in some of our advanced uh, searches with like average fly ball distance, he showed up really well for guys that uh, had a smaller number of fly balls just simply because he was a short season guy who was in the draft this year. He looked like he was tapping a little bit more power. There's a hit tool there. He's got an off-field approach. He's got some speed. He's got some defensive value. Colorado, I think he's a guy that could potentially tap into a little bit more, uh, drop his hands, some more pull side power, and he might be able to take a massive jump in terms of what his value is because he's got all the other supporting tools there, the hit tool, uh, 
the defense, the arm speed. So, you know, whether he ends up a second baseman or shortstop, I don't think matters all that much, but I think he's a pretty good offensive player. And he's somebody you're going to be able to get for relatively cheap. Um, and then I'd say, you know, another guy, maybe Bo Naylor uh, from the Indians, you're probably able to get him relatively cheap. I think he's an interesting player. Osiris Johnson. And then maybe even if you're willing to gamble and go with a, a, a Rockies arm, maybe Ryan Rawson, who uh, I think was an old Miss lefty, but he's got nasty swing and miss stuff. You might be able to get him a little bit later. I think he's interesting. If you believe in the change in the Rocky system, maybe there's a chance. So don't hate it completely. Yeah. Um, let's go to the overall top 100 before we wrap it up. We've had you for quite a while already. It's been awesome stuff here. Um, your top two, you have Vlad and Eloy. Those are kind of standard operating procedure. We yeah. expect both of them up rather early in the season. Let's start with Vlad. He's going around pick like 45 in FBC leagues. Do you Are you good with taking him pick 45, or is the, that fact that he's still – New to like the bigs and all this stuff. Do you do you temper it down a bit? No, I, I'll take I'll take Vlad at forty five all day long because I think I think that you know he may only jump around in terms of value, but I think you're getting you're getting a guy there that's number one. He's fun to own, and I mean yes. he hit four hundred in double A, like <laughs> for like months for like months, and it was cold. That's the other thing. It was it was like. There were games the first month of the season where, like, Vlad really wasn't hitting a lot of homers. Be like, where's the power? It's like, dude, it's 30 degrees right now. Like, I'm in a game literally in a ski mask and long johns. I'm not kidding with you. <laughs> and and this dude and this dude's knocking doubles, and you're mad that he's not hitting taters. As soon as the weather got better, got a little bit more humid, the ball started to travel. Unfortunately, he got hurt um, when he did. But I think there would have been a chance we would have seen him last year in the majors. You know, I think, I think, you know, uh, service time be damned. I think that it would have been something good to do for the player. You have a relationship with the family. Vlad Guerrero Jr., I think the last team he played for was the, was the Blue Jays. He was born in Canada. I, I've always said I thought last year he could have been called up in August had he not had that injury and missed six, seven weeks of the season. Because he came back, played a few games in double A. He went to the induction ceremony in Cooperstown for his dad and drove, you know, another three or four hours north up to Buffalo. So, um, you know, and he ended the season there. I don't know how they, I don't know how they bring him back to Buffalo. I mean, he has the highest, it's not just me either. He has the highest projected batting average, according to Steamer. According to Steamer. Yeah, Steamer is the, six. It's crazy. And they're notoriously low on, on prospects, yep. right? So that shows you. They're I mean, everybody. I've never seen somebody with his hands in my life. Forget the barrel control hands, just basic hands. He can be fooled by a pitch and make an adjustment and still drive it. He's nuts. You can, I don't even think you can, you're not gonna be able to shift on him. I mean, he's one of the best hitters I've ever watched. And, and I've been going to minor league games since 1991. Cause I grew up about five minutes from the Pawtucket Red Sox. I saw Movan come up. I saw Chipper Jones come up, um, you know, with, with uh, Richmond at the time before they moved. Um, you know, I've seen – I saw Mookie Betts. I saw Mookie Betts at Lowell. I saw Mookie Betts at AAA Pawtucket. I saw Xander Bogarts at AAA Pawtucket. Um, I've seen Aaron Judge. I mean, I've seen all the stars in the game, with the exception of Mike Trout and the Miners and Bryce Harper just because of timing. But Trey Turner, I mean, and and, and – Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the best hitter I've ever I've ever seen. 
in the minors. It's high praise. It's very high praise. Um, that's awesome. Okay, because I've been always curious. I, I believe the talent's there, the excitement's there. Pick forty four kind of got my got me scratching my head a little bit, but uh, I'd take Eloy the, too. I mean, that's where I was going even, next. Yeah, yeah Eloy at pick one twenty. Yeah. Even if Eloy at pick one twenty, oh my god, sign me up! I'll take him at a hundred because another guy. It, he's ready. He's ready. Well, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to hit guy. for a high average. He will you hit want, for a high. You average. want to plug minor graphs? Go look at his spray charts, and you might have blood flow problems. Yeah, he's our. Uh, I think he's our home. Our our home uh, page player for that reason. We want to. <laughs> we want to see if you can handle handle the minors graphs of Eloy Jimenez yeah. before you go on to anybody else. But uh, yeah, I mean, I caught him for a couple of series this year, um, and he was so impressive. I mean, he was more impressive, maybe. And I, it's funny. I saw Eli this year. I saw Ronald Acuna at the beginning of the season in Pawtucket that, yeah. before he got called up uh, for a series. I saw um, I saw Vlad a million times. So I mean, I've seen a lot of a lot of interesting players. I even saw Daniel Murphy this year on a rehab assignment. I miss Juan Soto though. But uh, and I'll say, man, Eloy just the hard contact is so easy for him, you know. Um, and he's got good. And he just makes good contact most of the time anyway. He doesn't. He, they're very rarely bad at bats with Eloy. Very rarely. I think he's going to be another special guy. He could hit 30 this year. Okay, that's two guys we expect to be up right away. Victor Robles is another one. You have him ranked fourth on your guys' list. You know, I tell people we love Juan Soto. It's amazing. If Victor Robles wasn't hurt, we might have not seen Juan Soto last year in reality. We have to like think about that real clearly. Um, Victor's going to be here, and people were in love with him. They missed him because of Soto. And now he's he's appreciated, but the hype doesn't seem to be there like it should be. And I I know how good he is. Can you explain to these people how good this man can be and why we should be looking at him? Because when you're talking NFBC right now and everything, we're talking a draft spot of 104 at the moment. Yeah, I mean that's a price, but and especially with you know some of the murkiness with what's going to happen in the Washington outfield there. But let's assume that Harper is gone. I think he's their center fielder because we can't bank on Adam Eaton being healthy for 162 games. And and I don't know if he's still going to have the same giddy up, you know, um, Victor Robles is a good defensive player. It's going to keep him in the, uh, in the lineup, good contact, good speed, uh, growing power. And he showed more power in the majors. I think this is another guy that could be, he could be Starling Marte with more power. So, um, I'd bank on him now because I think he's another guy with a really nice skill set uh, and he should be an impact player right from the jump. Um, what are some <laughs> other guys? You know, there's rumors of Fernando Tatis Jr. There's uh, Nick Senzel, Keston Hiera, uh, and some others. What are some of the guys you expect to see this year that'll make a like Kyle Tucker, that'll make an actual fantasy impact that's, you know, if they're available, go grab them now or maybe take late draft flyers on? Sure. So, um, you know, I don't know about Fernando Tatis Jr. I actually had him because we all did our own list and we released those. You can look at it on uh, the interactive list that we put out where you could search all different ranks and, you know, set it up a bunch of different ways, do a bunch of different searches. Um, I had Tatis Jr. second on my list. I think that he's going to be an absolute – I think he'd be A-Rod. That's how I look at him, okay? You're talking about a guy with massive power, speed, uh, on base ability, the ability to play shortstop and be the the face of your team. And he's a kid that grew up around, you know, his father obviously being Fernando Tatis. He's a guy that grew up around major league clubhouses. So uh, White Sox fans are going to rue the day that they traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields. But it happened. It happened. 
Tatis, I think, is going to be great, but he's not. I don't know how much we see him this year. Just, hey, if they sign Manny Machado and some of these things that are rumored with the Padres are actually reality and it it happens, fuck it. Call up up Tatis, man. Bring him up, you know? There's no reason not to. I think we'll see uh, Whitley this year, who is phenomenal. I've talked to a a guy who's in the Houston system that's actually caught Whitley a bunch. I'm not going to drop his name, but um, we had like a 45-minute conversation about Forrest Whitley. And he is like, you know, I've caught this guy, I've caught this guy, I've caught this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And he's like, dude, th- this kid is on. He's a, he's like, he called him a savant just because oh, wow. of the amount of pitches that he has, how nasty they are, how good his mechanics are. He just, he checks all the boxes. So I think we'll see Whitley. And I actually think it's one of the reasons the Astros haven't signed any pitchers is they're going to start bringing up this next revolution. They're the next money ball, by the way. It's their pitchers. Oh. And I've had some talks with Eno about this. High spin rate fastballs, two breaking balls, and a changeup. And they're targeting smaller pitchers, sub-6-2 pitchers with high spin rates. I posted a guy yesterday online that's been working with driveline by the name of Brandon Bailey. He was a Notre Dame kid. He was the player that was straight traded straight up for Ramon Laureano. Do you think the Astros would give away a player like Ramon Laureano for nothing? No, they knew they know something you don't know. They have the secret sauce, okay? They got the recipe in their in their cupboard and they make it every time they make a Big Mac at home. All right. They got the secret sauce. So trust the Astros. But uh other guys that can make it an impact. Senzel should, as long as he's healthy. Um I think that, you know, Eloy FC Robles, uh Tucker, I just don't know. I just don't know if the Astros are going to play him. And yeah, he may even need another year. It wouldn't shock me. Um, he's a divisive guy. I've always been a fan, but I'm, I'm a little, te- I'm a little tepid somewhat just with his redraft value. I don't know if I can go all in on him. Um, Jesus Lazardo should, should get a lot of innings in, in Oakland this year. He may even turn out to be their ace. Real, real um, quick, how, real quick sure. before you go on. How do you look at Lazardo versus Whitley? Uh, it's not close. I mean, Whitley, Whitley okay. is. Messing on here. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about ace ceiling versus number two ceiling where, okay. you know, Lazardo is very polished. I like him, but he's a three pitch guy, you know, and he's not mm-hmm. big and he's had Tommy John before where well, you're talking with, you're talking like a six pitch, a, a six pitch mix. And the thing that Jason Panini, when he saw him a lot out in Arizona was saying to me, and that's the, the guy I was talking, you know, from prospects live that obviously is a former scout. He can attack play teams differently depending upon the day. One day he wants to use his curveball. The yeah, next, yeah. the next he's going to use his slider. And he can and he can sequence differently to different people. So you, that's so tough because that means that you don't even know what his scouting report is going to be. You're like, is are we going to see this Whitley? Or are we going to see this Whitley? Or are we going to see some freaking Whitley we've ever never even seen before? You know, we never even imagined. Like who knows? Uh, so I think that's not a knock on Jesus Cesardo. That's simply yeah. how good Forrest Whitley is. He is an amazing pitching prospect. Where I think Lazardo could be. He could be this year's Walker Bueller. I mean, he could be a guy that comes up and just has a really, really good season. And next year, we're looking at him as like, this guy could be a fantasy ace. Like, I, I think he maybe has that upside, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to miss 10 Ks per nine. He's not pop, you know, he's not going to pop 100. He's got some below, but it's more sequencing with him. He's got a really, really good changeup, tunnels well with the fastball. He's a good pitcher. He's a, he's a rotation guy. I just think he's probably going to be more like a number two in real life than a true ace. Okay. I like it. Uh, any other guys like a Luis Urias or anything like that you're looking yeah, at? Yeah. Luis Urias is a guy that I was, uh, I was going to mention. I think that he could have some impact this year. 
depending upon how Brett Honeywell's schedule goes, we might see Brett Honeywell this year. And now, for the guy that I want everyone to go, and I want him to go, and I want them to add, add this guy on their teams. I want you to draft him on your redraft teams, too. I want it to be Danny Jansen, the catcher oh, okay, from Toronto, Toronto okay? Yep. Batting average is the worst thing with catchers. Mm-hmm. Who cares about their counting stats? It's their batting average. I think I've had Francisco Cervelli on so many good fantasy teams just simply because I know Francisco Cervelli's like batting average for the most part isn't going to completely tank. It's what's great about JT Romudo. I think that Jansen is a guy that could hit 12 to 15 homers and hit 300 right off the jump and give you some pretty good counting stats too. So I think he's a guy with a high floor. You can get pretty cheap. I mean, I know Brass Ball, you know, Gray, when I do the podcast with him, we're doing the rankings. I think he had Jansen outside the top 15, you know? Really? Yeah, I think he's a top 10 guy. I'm going to be drafting Jansen on all my teams. Yeah, once Russell Martin got traded, I think I moved Jansen to ninth or 10th in my catcher rankings. Yeah. I- I think I think he might I think he might be top five. Like I made a bold prediction last year and I said Ozzy Albies would be a top five second baseman next year, and he is. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. next year Danny Jensen is a top five catcher. I know it's not going as much out on a limb as second base because the second base is significantly deeper, but I think Jensen is gonna be a top five catcher next year in fantasy. It's still a big limb, and you heard it here first on Bench with Bubba, folks. Danny Jansen, top five catcher. Um, Ralph, I could sit here and talk prospects with you all day, but I don't want to keep Same. you all day. Thank but you. <laughs> uh, it, it, your, your knowledge base is, is outstanding. And what I'll tell everybody to do, and I'll let you plug it again real quick, is go to Prospects Live, and you can find all of this stuff and much, much more, plus his own shows. So you don't have guys like me asking questions. You just have him telling you all the good stuff. So let everybody know what they can find and where they can find you. Sure, yeah. We have a, a Prospects Live stream on iTunes, Stitcher, all that sort of stuff. You know, uh, whatever app you're using for for uh, for, for ugh, podcasts, you could find it under Prospects Live. ProspectsLive.com, that's the website. Let's go there, check it out. We've got live video. We have a YouTube uh, channel that has hundreds of videos already up, including some new stuff on Marco Luciano for all my, my Giants fans. A lot of instructs looks there. Um, and, you know, Prospect Jesus on Twitter. Pro, at Prospects Live on Twitter. You can send any questions you have in your Dynasty League, anything about prospects you want to ask, you can email us at askprospectslive at gmail.com. Uh, we should have our own domain emails pretty soon. I'm setting that up. But uh, in the meantime, you can email questions there, and we tend to feature them weekly in a, in a blog uh, where we answer the questions, and we actually have a couple of the experts go through. You may even get a few different answers. So check that out. Follow all the guys that are part of Prospects Live on Twitter. Uh, at Jason at the game, that's Jason Waddell. Uh, Matt Thompson is at MD Tomp, T H O M P F W F B. He's got a damn, you got to get a better Twitter yeah, handle. I'm sorry. Man. I, I, I told know. him that when I had him on last time. I'm like, dude, that is just a mouthful of nonsense. <laughs> and Lance, uh, Lance Brozdowski, you can follow him at Lance Broz, B R O Z. Jason Panini, that's at Jason Panini. Last name is P E N N I N I. Eddie Almaguer, you can follow him at Eddie Almaguer. They all have their names. Uh, Kyler Peterson, we got a few other guys. Chris Dunn, follow them. They're all hitting you know, games right now in Florida. We had some Carter Stewart stuff. It was the Braves draft pick last year who didn't sign. We got his first start, uh, collegiate start today. So you can see uh, if you go over to uh, Prospects Live Wall on Twitter, we got some videos up there, and we'll have some videos up on YouTube probably by the time this airs. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of great guys. I've talked to many already. Panini is just an awesome dude. Talking to him is uh, like the man. next level. So, yeah, good stuff there. But, again, Ralph, thanks for joining me. Uh, it's a pleasure. We'll have to talk again sometime. 
Hey everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 140, Dynasty Fantasy Baseball Talk with the one and only Ralph Lifshitz at prospectlive.com. Catch you later. Mm-hmm.